0: Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 6, recorded Thursday, September 14th, 2017. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, we will be speaking with Gina Rotstein, founder and executive director at Place to Give Foundation; Melody Song, a senior development officer, prospect management, and international development at the Calgary Zoo; and John Gormley, a senior advancement analyst with McMaster University in Hamilton. Today's topic is. Why hasn't the nonprofit sector embraced big data? Or have they? The term big data has arrived in our vocabulary relatively recently. In a world where Google, Facebook, and Amazon collect, use, and market information on billions of users, big data has become big business, but it has been slow to take off in the nonprofit sector. Join us as we discuss this topic and much more coming up next on Brain Trust Philanthropy Powered by Vitreo.
1: We have three terrific guests with us today. It's going to be a great discussion. I can't wait. Joining us from Hamilton, we have John Gormley. I had the pleasure of meeting and working with John earlier this year when we both worked on a study related to donors to our professional organization. John and his colleagues at McMaster, as part of their MBA work, undertook a survey of over 3,500 fundraisers in Canada. It was and is a great piece of work. John welcome to the podcast. I know from our recent conversations that you're also working on an even bigger project around impact investing. I know that you're not quite ready to share the results of your work on this, but I'm wondering if you can give us a a teaser, a quick overview on just what is impact investing and where your research might be taking us. John?
2: Thank you, Vincent. You're too kind. Uh, Impact investing is a a form of getting both financial return as well as social and environmental return. Uh, Our study is looking at uh, the retail level, so the Canadian public's opinion, uh, and ideally uh, and most importantly, their intention to invest in the uh, the market. Uh, Although it's in its infancy right now, uh, as we see the market growing, it will be important to understand the, uh, the demand in the market.
1: Thank you. Um, it's it an interesting, interesting topic, and lots of news on it in the, in especially in the last sort of 18 months. So it's it's interesting. I'm sure it's a longer track field than that. So thanks, John. Also joining us this morning from Calgary, we have Melody Song. I don't know Melody well, uh, although I did hear that she has a ping pong table on the front of her lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been long an admirer of her work, most notably in the area of prospect donor research, and specifically. How we might better understand and use network nodes as another way of understanding how to work with our donors and prospective donors. Melody, welcome. I know, I know you're working on some exciting projects at the Calgary Zoo. I'm wondering if you could take a minute or two to share, share with our listeners just what some of those projects are. And you gave us a bit of a teaser during the sound check, but we'd love to hear more about what's coming to the Calgary Zoo. Yeah,
3: thank you, Vincent. Uh... Yeah, we, I've been, uh, actually, uh, a prospect researcher for a few years and where I did work on, uh, relationship mapping, uh, in, like, the early years of, you know, before, re- like, relationship science and all these other companies started to, uh, commercialize the whole process. Um, and that was very interesting. Uh, but now, three years ago, I actually made a change. To become a development officer again and started fundraising from, uh, uh, Chinese communities to be more specific in Canada and also overseas in China, uh, which is very exciting because in, at the Calgary Zoo, we have the giant pandas coming next year. So it's going to be a, yeah, it's going to be about 40 million dollars, uh, project. <laughs> and uh yeah, they are very, very expensive, but they're a very adorable symbol for conservation, and it's very meaningful for for me as well personally coming from originally coming from China, myself, born and raised from Beijing, and uh yeah, so we've been having some success this year um but uh with the economy here we're we're also having some difficulties but uh yeah, I've been in the international fundraising space and also um, uh, working on uh, donor diversity, you know, how to raise funds from diverse um, communities as well.
1: Yeah. You offered that up as a, as a potential topic for the new year. And we're going to, we're going to definitely do a diversity and inclusion podcast. So thanks for that, Melody. And we're all very excited about the pandas. Um, so thank yeah. you. Great. Um, th- uh, last but not least, also joining us from Calgary, we have Gina Rotstein. Uh Gina, And I have been friends and colleagues ever since I moved to Calgary in 2005. In late 2016, Gina sold the philanthropy tech company she founded called Dexterity Ventures Inc. And now she's looking for her next great adventure. Gina, welcome to our little podcast. I know, I know that you've been on the road, a road trip over the last few weeks. Just how far have you driven? Where did you go and, and why did you do it?
4: Hi Vincent. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, so where did I go? I drove forty one hundred kilometers around the Pacific Northwest, so Alberta, DC, uh, Washington State and Oregon. And uh it ended up being that long only because I was dodging forest fires and um, trying to find clear air. <laughs> it's amazing that <laughs> you don't have access to oxygen on a semi regular basis. Um and I I do uh, a road trips like this. Pretty much every year. So it's not unusual for me to get in my car and just start driving. I find that windshield time is when I get my most creative thinking done. And uh, so, yeah, so I spent two and a half weeks just tooling about the countryside trying to figure out what the next big adventure is going to be.
1: Nice. Well, we won't, we won't let you give it away yet because I know we'll want to have you on another podcast to tell us about that. But thank you for joining us and thanks for telling us about your road trip. Thank you all for joining us on this, our sixth podcast. We're excited to hear from you all. Today's topic is why hasn't the nonprofit sector embraced big data or have they? The term big data, especially in a world where Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft and Apple collect use, and market information on billions of users has become a central theme in many industries, but it has been slow to take off in the nonprofit sector, or at least in much of the nonprofit sector. Should the nonprofit sector be working with big data? Is it even possible with so many small players to work effectively in this area? Is our sector ready, already experiencing a digital divide uh, between those who can and are using large data sets to drive donor giving, and those who can't and won't. These are just some of the big questions on this topic. I would like to start with a bit of a discussion about what do we mean when we're talking about big data. John, let's start with you. How do you define big data?
2: Yeah, so I see big data as, a, as more than just the volume of data. Uh, on top of it, it's the diversity of the data types as well as the uh, um, how often it's delivered, so uh, how frequently it's uh, it's updated, so essentially known as the, uh, the three Vs. Volume, variety, and the variety can include different sources, so whether that be web updates, sensors, satellite information, uh, as well as structured and unstructured data, uh, as well as velocity, so real-time uh, data generation, capturing, transmission, processing, and storage.
1: Okay, that's a pretty technical definition there. Are people using much looser ones in the marketplace?
4: Well, there was at some point or at one point um, this discussion around is big data what John just described, or it started actually originally just as volume of data, and everybody was saying there's all this data out there, that's the big data. I would add one more layer to that, um, if I may, John, and that's on the connectivity between all the data sets. So what do you do when you've, when you've got the three Vs in place and you layer on the analytics, prescriptive or, or predictive, on top of that, that generates an additional layer of information that, that then gets put back in. So it's, for me, big data is the connective tissue between all those disparate pieces of information and the way that it gets used and disseminated back out for consumption. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. We need to find a word that means connection that starts with V. I'm just kidding.
3: (laughs) So I, yeah. (laughs) Melody, go ahead. Yeah, I would like to add, like, as an example, um, for me, uh, big data, what can it tell us about? what people are thinking you know like i i shared this article earlier as well with with you guys article from uh about google and during the trump election and uh that someone like uh someone who's doing studying data from google trends noticed that there's a lot of hatred in the u.s just from the terms that people are searching for so people are analyzing, you know, like what are people searching for from Google because when they tell Google, you know, what to search, sometimes they tell uh, tell it more honestly than when you're posting a Facebook post, for example.
1: Right. Your search terms are more authentic than what you post on Facebook.
3: Exactly. So so from those data we would be able to see the trends, you know, what are people thinking, what are people you know, in in various situations, like election, or in our case, could be, you know, what are donors thinking when they give? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they- and also,
3: yeah, I want to add also my husband used to work in a startup company called Tint about eight years ago. as one of the third largest uh, company that works at data, Big Data at the time. And what they do is they monitor copy-paste. So they monitor what people copy and what they paste um into documents from the web. And their their um their customers are Amazon and all these like New York Times because they want to monitor what again, what are people thinking, what are they using, you know, just to tell some trends and um some ideas um where the mass, you know, like can guide us to. So for non profit obviously we also want to learn about donors and
1: what people are thinking, what donors are thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they call that, I've heard sometimes the word sentiment analysis. Um, so what is the the sentiment of the marketplace or yeah. how are people feeling? I know Twitter does a lot of this too. I can imagine that uh, w- we in the nonprofit sector would probably care about some of those things, even if it's related to things like the economy. Yeah, so yeah
4: exactly. That's exactly go, it. Go ahead, Gina. Um, so one of the when we talk about nuance or sentiment analysis, especially when it comes to donors, uh, so I'll use the Place to Get Foundation as the as a case study for this. Um, the technology that we ended up selling included our uh, some of our profiling tools, and what we learned from donors when they when they did their donor profile, they would say, "I like this kid's organization." But I don't like this kid's organization and their choice of words to describe why they liked one organization over another, even if those agencies were relatively the same in their deliverables, their size, their geography. That it's those the nuance of the, that language uh, is what we measured. And um, IBM Watson is the was the starting point of this artificial intelligence nuanced sentiment analysis space. And uh, I think that one of the challenges the charitable sector has is the, the complexity behind developing and understanding how that technology actually gets embedded in donor databases and the questions that need to be asked is, is not just complicated, it's quite complex. And so it just becomes a daunting exercise. Um, but sentiment analysis is, you know, it's big business. Uh, at least in the States.
1: John, we had a conversation the other day. Um, thanks, Gina. We had a conversation the other day that about you, you were talking about structured and unstructured data, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but in a lot of the nonprofit sector, I feel like we have, you know, some, a good amount, as if you're a large organization, of structured data. But coming back to Gina's point, I'm not sure if we even collect a lot of unstructured data. Thoughts?
2: I think it's out there. I mean, even contacts contact reports would be unstructured data, so mining through that information to to see what the sentiment of each of the discussions were and maybe creating a cumulative score or has that score changed over time? Uh, so it is something that we have in our databases that, as Gina mentioned, uh, artificial intelligence and Watson and uh, cognitive computing uh, would be able to help with so. Those are more advanced analytic strategies that can help uh, sift through the uh, the big data that's uh, that's available. I mean, the information, although it's not necessarily really at our fingertips, it's out there. So, you know, Google, Amazon, Facebook, uh, you name it, have this massive database of unstructured data. And, and although we're not currently leveraging it as much as we could, uh, there are certain resources that we can tap into uh, to get that information.
1: So, who is using big data in the nonprofit sector and, and what are they doing and how well are they using it?
3: Uh, can I uh yes, like that. Yeah, Melody question, dig in. Uh Vincent. Um yeah. I in my uh, experience fundraising uh from China and I found that in China uh they are actually using big data yeah. <laughs> and uh they're embracing big data actually. Uh we were talking about in in North America. There are people who have non-structured data and, like, you know, Google Google trends for for one thing, but they're very expensive for the nonprofit sector to access. However, in China, what I'm seeing here is a trend of um, bigger social media platforms becoming donor platforms. They're not smaller mm-hmm. uh, donation platforms. They're actually... The Facebook of China, that's Tencent Technology, who has 600 million active users, which is the biggest and most profitable in the world. Um, their uh, their uh, app is called WeChat, and pretty much every single Chinese person I know on the face of the earth use WeChat. And they uh, created the 9.9 Charity Day. For so this is just one of the examples of of the Chinese um, uh, social media donation platforms is the 9.9 Charity Day, and they raised in 2016 uh, $44 million, um, and it's matched 1.1, so it's matched by Tencent. So in the end, Tencent matched $44 million. So they raised about $86 million in that day, on that day, with 6.7 million gifts. Um, So that is just one platform. Uh, comparing to our Giving Tuesday in 2016, Giving Tuesday worldwide raised 177 million and 1.6 um, million gifts. So in China, we're seeing huge scales, like an amount of gifts, um, the number of gifts that are raised uh, through these um, huge platforms are pretty big. And the reason why we're actually getting these data, and I'm also having a report uh, from CAFP, which is the Chinese Association of Fundraising Professionals. They're not related to our association of fundraising professionals. They're uh um, independent association, but they actually have collaboration agreements with AFP as well. They have um, analysis of donors um, in very detailed because they have the accessibility for these data of donors. Um through Tencent or Sina, Weibo, which is kind of like the Twitter in China, and mm-hmm. also a few other a few other platforms. So I have that report which is very, very interesting. They are actually using big data to predict trends, to uh you know to, to analyze donors. They're not doing surveys or anything. They're just they have this because you know, donors are using their platforms to give and um uh, uh, they are actually embracing big data and uh well, yeah, that, very that sounds interesting like we can learn use. a lot
1: from, from from China. I was very interested for you to talk about the scale. It was it was like uh, if I did the math right uh, three or four times the number of people involved in that similar day to giving Tuesday in China. Exactly. So that's that's very significant. Yeah,
3: it, it's huge. And also one of the uh, foundations, the One Foundation that's created by Jack B, um he, they use a platform called Antloss. It's, also, it's actually backed by Alibaba. It's one of the Alipay. So Alibaba, of course, is one of the biggest uh, e-commercial platform in the world. And it's AMBA, the uh, Amazon
1: of China, isn't it?
3: Yes, it's the Amazon of China. They, Alibaba also uh, has, um, you know, that they're kind of the eBay uh, as well. So they have e-shops, that charity e-shops, that they raise lots of money through uh, people – just selling products and then giving part of the proceeds to charity and they're doing it quite big in a big way. eBay is is starting to do it, but uh not in the same scale as Alibaba right now. And Antlove, which is another uh platform they use uh for one foundation, they uh they actually acquired about a hundred thousand monthly donors uh last That's year. That's incredible.
1: Um, it's incredible. That that, that, <laughs> yeah. that that report that you talked about, we'll put it in the show notes. So thanks for that. We'll get that from you offline. John, yeah. you had yeah. mentioned to me the other day something about Charity Water. Is that uh, is that an organization that's using big data?
2: Yeah, very much so. They uh they do a, a great job of uh leveraging it in their uh, their operations. Uh so they uh for all of their wells, uh they uh they have sensors uh built into them. Uh, and then a dashboard system at uh, a central office that uh, that monitors both the uh, the water levels and uh, and usage. Uh, so the sensors then use machine learning to identify patterns in usage uh, and then emit a uh, a trouble signal if uh, if it's behaving erratically. So I, I think they're a great example of uh, well. How that does
1: that translate? How behave. does that translate to donors, though, John? I get that from an operational perspective, but is that is that help identify where the areas of greatest need are, or what's the, what's what's the story there?
2: From the reading I've done, I haven't seen um, what they're doing from a, a donor perspective. Okay. Uh, but I imagine that if it's built into their uh, their operations, it will be built into their uh, their fundraising. And, and I think okay. that's one of the things with big data is it's not limited to just uh, generating resources. I, I think it's creating efficiencies across the organization at, right. at all touch points. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that it can go um, is identifying those interests of donors. So uh, not only do you have currently the the behaviors of the the donors through their previous giving, um, you know, what events they attend, where they volunteer, but if you get different third-party data sets, you can then also uh, look into their social values, um, their interests in general, so what links are they clicking on, to get a better idea of what causes they care about and what are they more likely to donate to. right?
4: And and building on that, we're seeing it being used in the financial services sector. So um, there's third-party tools that are analyzing people's social media behavior that is uh, affecting credit scores. And so if you're going into a bank to apply for a mortgage or a line of credit, um, some institutions, not so much in Canada but in the States, are actually looking at these social media now, analytics tools to determine whether or not you're socially engaged in community and how many connections you have. Because it's proven that the more connections that you have um, and the more you talk about volunteering or donating or being engaged in your community, your risk of defaulting on a loan is, is lower. And so your score will be higher um right and and so when we look at how charitable sector big data can be used and analyzed it's not even just within the charitable sector it's spreading across other industries as well like financial services
1: right I, I don't know now if they've they've more you you sort
2: so, so types of industries
1: yeah they are and they've they've invested in them larger than we have probably because they they have the investment tools i just before we get back to that john um gina The, uh, that was a very good news story about credit scores. There's a, there's a dark underbelly that, to that too, where they're using them to prevent people from getting loans. And uh, there's a book out there called Weapons of Math Destruction, M-A-T-H Destruction. It's a great, great book to read about how, uh, these algorithms can be used for great good, but they can also, um, you know, they're, they're designed by humans and therefore the biases fold in. Right, and uh, especially uh, in in the courts and things like that. So it's an interesting um, world we're we're entering, where they like you said, the more connections, the better social score, the more likely that you're going to pay your loan off. That's awesome, but um, but it could probably go the other way too.
4: Sure, I mean, Salesforce. I believe it's Salesforce and their cloud. Um, they look at they they've created tools for their for their clients to show which of their clients' clients have a likelihood of defaulting on their or low, slow payment on invoicing um, right. because they've created these analytics tools that customers can buy that are embedded within the Salesforce back end. Um, right. you, you, my guess is that I've never used the Salesforce nonprofit platform, but you could probably be applying that same logic to donors who make pledges and then default on their pledges. <laughs> um, but it's always going to be, which we that
1: and, 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 and happens. I mean, and, it does. Yeah, no, it happens. It absolutely does um, happen. I, uh, oh, uh, it, I don't want to go down that that alley too far. But I was looking at a, a naming policy for a large institution in Toronto, and they actually listed that as one of the risk factors, which I thought was really awesome because a lot of times we pretend it doesn't happen, that we don't have defaults in pledge payments, but we do.
4: And, and I think uh, that if, if we're going to talk about operational effectiveness, some of the things that charities would be wanting to know are what is like what's our cash flow going to be like, and as a result, can we can we um, predict effectively what that default rate will be so we can plan accordingly. Like so, I think that there's there's business side, there's revenue generation and management side, and then there's operational effectiveness. And uh, implementation and, and programming, like data, just crosses everything within the institution.
1: I'm so glad that we expanded that definition. And John, I'm going to give you the first credit for that for pushing it beyond resources. You were trying to, or I thought you might have had something to say earlier, and I did, I might have cut you off. Did you want to expound on on that?
2: I think I, I was more just uh, angling on. Um, I, I think this type of you know, analytics being embedded into uh, organizational DNA is that uh, it's been around for quite a few years in the corporate side and the for-profit industry. But uh, I think we're only starting now to play catch-up in the uh, the not-for-profit sector. Uh, you know, capacity uh, is one of those factors. I think both the pressure to keep expenses low, which is further compounded by the difficulty to measure ROI in analytic programs. So we actually had the the pleasure of having uh, Kevin McDonald from uh, Dalhousie and the author of score uh, data driven success for your advancement team uh, who came in to speak to our team about that as at McMaster, we are uh, further developing a, an insights program, uh, just reinforcing the value and importance of a a culture of analytics, uh, which, you know, is prevalent as anything in the, uh, the for-profit side. So you even look at, uh, you know, all of the leading tech companies in a, a great example that I continually use is Spotify. They do a great job at prescribing uh, recommendations for me. Uh, their music selection knows my music taste to a T. And I often discover new artists, albums, uh, and the playlists that they create for me are fantastic. And uh, I would love to see the algorithm that they have built into that uh, as it's, uh, you know, probably 99% right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Netflix has a similar sort of deal.
2: Yeah,
4: not nearly yeah. as good as
1: Spotify. Yeah, I agree. But then again, the dimensions are much different, right? Uh, to be fair, Spotify's job is music, which although it's pretty wide, is not as wide as uh, as film in terms of genre. So it'd be interesting. I also um,
2: so, think that for music, um, Spotify, like most of my music listening is on Spotify, whereas Netflix you use different sources for movies, so it's harder for them to get information on what else you're watching because it's not an exhaustive list of what you watch.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So are there organizations in Canada, nonprofit organizations that are starting to embrace um, aspects of big data?
3: For sure.
4: Um, The biggest one that I know of is powered by data and agile. So, uh, I just started as a prospect analy- anal- analysis tool, um, and then they launched Powered by Data, which looks at, from the charity side, um, how, how all these organizations are connected and where, uh, where opportunities lie in, in doing better things within the sector. So actually being able to do Trending predictions on issues, um, and so those are like they're 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 one in the same company, um, but they're they're really looking at the way that data can be analyzed and used within the marketplace. And then the second one is OpenImpact.ca, which is from the social finance side. So it's a list of um, funds that are Canadian-based funds that are impact-based investors to understand the ESG, the environmental, social, and governance structures within the companies that are in that fund, and there's a rating and ranking um, of, uh, of those funds. So we're starting to see more and more of them um, crop up. The, I still think that the challenge is, is that Canada is only 35 million people, and um
1: <laughs> that's, that's funny when we talk it's only 35 million people therefore well, you know, it's insignificant in the big data world
4: in the big data world it's really insignificant considering the state of California is 38 million uh, or 36 million or something like that so uh, our country is smaller than one state in the United States and as a result the volume of data that we can produce and that can be sourced um, is By its very nature, just at this point in time, limited by the people who are generating the data. If we look at it from a North American or international perspective, then obviously that changes. But then you have to—I don't know—I don't know of Canadian companies that are outside of like well, Canadian companies, sure, like BlackBerry for example. But Canadian nonprofits that are really looking at large volumes of data and doing predictive and prescriptive analytics um, as a way to improve their operational effectiveness and then publishing that information or sharing it for other people to connect into. I'm not sure of any.
1: Melody, what about you? Do you know of some Canadian organizations that are starting to use big data?
3: Um, No. Uh, I I don't know any Canadian companies, but I think – Like like or non profit, you
1: know, you go ahead.
3: Or non profit. Yeah, like you know, I see lots of uh companies does analytics, right? Like uh and also analytics of structured data and also what we have, like, you know, our donor database, but not not in the big big data sense. And uh like I kind of pointed out earlier, like what was happening in China, I'm I'm seeing it Kind of like a future, like as you know millenniums are taking over um, the more people online and more people using their mobile phones. So maybe you know like um, social media platforms, if they embrace, embrace nonprofit, like Facebook, instead of giving ten million dollars donation to a research. They could become a donation platform where they would have donor database they would have a donor you know like can achieve this kind of scale, then maybe we can uh you know get those data free just like in China where we can't get access to those uh kind of data in you know in a big way so okay. i'm I'm thinking, yeah maybe the uh the bigger social media or Google, you know, all these people um, just learn from China or something and uh, becoming, you know, <laughs> more embracing the nonprofit and helping us a little bit more.
1: Fair enough. What about you, John? Are you, uh, any any organizations out there in Canada that you think are, are on the cusp of, of embracing big data? I, I, I would have thought that, that a number of universities would be exploring this, but I also heard very clearly from Gina that, 35 million is a small data set.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so Melody definitely put yes. the the nail on the head there in that uh I mean big data is in the the future still um in in the nonprofit world I think we're all still uh figuring out how to embed uh cult- or analytics into our culture. Uh that's uh, what I see is the uh the major hurdle in the next, you know, let's say 2 to 3 years. Uh, so once we get there and And I think that's going to be helped by the democratization of a lot of analytics software as well as data visualization uh, software. These uh, these tools help get data in front of uh, all staff members, not just people who know analytics. Uh, Because one big thing, I was at a a Drive conference in Seattle, and one thing that really stuck with me was uh, data is not a foreign object. So future careers will demand that employees are analytically prof- uh, proficient. So uh, people are no longer specialists if they know how to use a computer or the internet. internet an It's just, it's just going to be a staple. It's going to be expected that you know how to do analysis um, before joining an organization. Hmm.
3: That, that's a very good point, John. Um, I think in nonprofits, we, you know, like we're, we're fundraisers obviously. And, and, um, you know, if you go to conferences, people keep telling it's all about relationship, right? Like it's relationship building, and that won't change for centuries. But what is going to change is the technology side of it, which is the data side of it. So um, I think us as fundraisers need to be more educated on this on this side. Like you said, they should also know about analytics and and have that kind of knowledge when we even going into this career. And Those building
4: are great. on that melody,
1: go- I would oh sorry, No, Katie okay, and I I'm glad that you chimed in. go ahead
4: so uh, just building on that, I think that the, it it's incumbent upon the charities to start educating the donor marketplace on the importance of hiring data scientists you know because th- that's going to be a direct overhead expense and if you're looking at really good data scientists, their salaries start at around one hundred and twenty grand a year, and that's just starting salary um, and so it's hard for donors to fully understand why a, an organization would invest in that type of individual when um, when as a donor they don't understand the value of data like what that information will then garner for that organization whether it is um, reduction in friction in getting projects to market or um, you know, uh, co- co- uh, lowering the cost of fundraising or whatever it is. It's it's up to charities to start educating the donor community on why this is so important and why we should be financing these types of roles and these types of projects. And um, I, I think that that's, a, that's another reason why charities just haven't embraced big data or really technology in general because the price tags are so high and they're really hard to explain to a donor. It's very easy for a company to explain why they need to have, um, you know, widgets put down oil pipelines to understand the difference in viscosity of the oil that's coming out because it saves millions of dollars at any given time when the oil goes to market. It's very hard to have that exact that that same widget put down a water well uh, to explain to donors why that technology needs to be in a water well. Um, so well, that's yeah. our job,
1: yeah. though, right? That that that's our that's Absolutely. that's the nut we have to crack, right? So that's exactly so, uh, it.
4: I think that's the call to
2: action.
1: Exactly. So you, uh, as is typical with this podcast, and and I'm and I had no doubt it would happen today too. There's enough conversation. We just scratched the, 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 the tip of the iceberg here, and we could definitely have another topic. But I'm also mindful that we, we probably need to start moving towards the close. So what I heard was we need – thanks, Melody. We need to think about looking to China for sure. Um, and, and, John, uh, analytics is clearly our stepping stone, and I'm glad to hear places like McMaster and others are, are really engaging this and that you're bringing people from Dalhousie to talk to it about um, – I guess our call to action is how do how do we justify hiring people like a data scientist? So those are things we need to think about um, uh, from other areas. How to how to how to go beyond just the fundraising, but also into the, the business side and the operational side. So it's been a fantastic discussion. Um, it's clearly a big topic, but but that's going to have to be for another podcast. You you've all been great guests, Melody, Gina, John. I hope I hope we can have each of you back on our podcast. Before we go, though, I want to I I turn the, 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 the microphone over to each of you um, to, to, to tell us a little bit more about what you're working on uh, and, and, uh, and, and what's going on in your life. We'll start with you, Gina. Anything you want our listening audience to know or care or think about?
4: Um, so this was great. Thank you so much for including me in this. I really enjoyed the discussion. Uh, so my road trip kind of gave me some clarity on a few things. Uh, Place to Give is going to, is a donor advised fund in Canada and the US, and so we're gonna keep chugging along. Um, but it's going to look very different now that I don't have the technology that's powering the back end of it. So in, sometime in 2018, Place to Give will be relaunched with a, with a new look and feel, um, we'll still be doing donor support and um, working with family foundations and small, medium-sized family-owned businesses to help them with their charitable giving. Uh, but it's going to have a different approach to tackling some of these complex problems. And so, you can where can? Follow me on where, Twitter.
1: How do they follow so, you on Twitter?
4: At Place to Give, and it's the number two, not the word
1: two. Great At place to the number give. Awesome. Thanks, Gina. John, what are you working on? What do you want to talk to us about? What do you want us to know?
2: Yes, yeah, so I've been working on a, a research grant uh, it's uh, from the support of uh, the Association of Fundraising Professionals uh, as part of my school. Uh, and the focus of that is impact investing. So how do we align our values with our money?, uh, the market's seeing incredible growth in the uh, across the world uh, and specifically Canada uh so we're definitely um, becoming a leader in that uh fairly quickly and uh as the uh, the market goes to uh, to mainstream retail options uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record here but but we do need to understand the uh the market demand so what's awareness opinion uh and most importantly that intention to uh to invest uh so we conducted interviews with thought leaders uh we developed a survey which we administered uh to be nationally representative uh, so we're in the midst of producing the report, but, uh, as a little teaser, uh, I can tell you that the vast majority of Canadians are, uh, are interested in, uh, in having a portion of their portfolio put towards impact investing. So the, the appetite is huge, uh, and the opportunity will, uh, will be incredible for, uh, for those involved.
1: Are you surprised by that, Gina? Not at
4: all. Not, yeah. I'm not surprised at all.
1: Yeah, I know from your your work that I I don't think that 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 sentiment that teaser that John gave out, I'm glad to see it backed up by evidence. But that's awesome. Well,
3: there's been
4: there was just an acquisition of um I don't know of a one financial firm that just bought another one because of their impact investing portfolio. So Sam Safe just bought uh, a company in Toronto. Um, Purely based on the fact that they had a, an impact fund. Hmm. And that was in the Global yeah. Mail yesterday, I
2: think.
1: So, John, when's your report coming out?
2: Uh, we'll have that by the end of November.
1: End of November. So, sometime in the new year, we might want to have a, a podcast on impact investing. Consider me there. All right. That's awesome. Melody, tell us the story. Yep. What's going on? So,
3: obviously, the giant pandas are coming next year in March. And, uh, I have to work very hard <laughs> to get them housed and also get bamboos. Uh, we, we have to ship about 1500 kilograms of bamboo every week, possibly from China to feed them. Um, so that alone is very, uh, daunting, uh, for us. So I'm going to continue to work in the international fundraising space. And, and I think when we started on this journey, people were thinking, why would, people in China or people in Vancouver or Chinese people in Vancouver give to a zoo in Calgary, um, but we we actually had some success. So um, it's very interesting and very new as well, uh, space for me and for for everyone really. And we have learned when I was in San Francisco for the EFP conference that, you know, yes, there are differences in our different communities, different cultural communities, but I don't think we have... Um, like learn enough, what are those businesses? So, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to share uh, some insights in what I've been doing for the diversity and, uh, you know, that kind of podcast you're gonna you're planning for the new year.
1: Well, that's great. We'll definitely have you on that podcast, Melody. you appreciate so, so March, is that when the exhibit opens or is that when they arrive?
3: They arrive in March uh, and the exhibit will open in May.
1: Awesome. Can't wait. Thank you all again. With that, the gift of another Brain Trust Philanthropy powered by Betrayo has been committed.
0: Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will join us again next month when our topic will be Nonprofit Leadership. How can the fundraiser be a bold leader? Our panel will include Leah Eustace, Arla Gustafson, Yvonne Chenier, Nicholas Offord, and June Bradham. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts, I'm Vincent Duckworth.